to us as examples. Examples of what to do and examples of what not to do. So we've had some kings that are awful, that we learn from their lives, don't do anything they did. We have some kings that have been excellent that we can learn from their lives and say, what can we learn from them? We just got done studying three chapters, excuse me, four chapters of Hezekiah. He was a great king, one of the best kings that Judah had. Well, now we get into Manasseh, which you can make an argument was the worst king that uh, Judah ever had. But we're going to do something a little different tonight. Yeah, we're going to teach the verse by verse. We're going to go through this. But we have taught so much on kings. We have taught so much on what they did and what it represents. I want to do something different. I want us to take us from the teaching aspect of this tonight to the practical application of this tonight. And you'll see what I mean as we get going here. So first things first, uh, Second Chronicles 33, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. 55 years. Longest reign of any king there, any monarch. Now, why did God give him 55 years? i got a couple verses that I want to share with you, Dustin, if you don't mind putting up that slide. Why would God give the most evil king that ever lived 55 years? Because of 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It took 55 years for him to get saved. So God was patient. What you're going to find out with Manasseh is this. Manasseh's chapter here speaks of, you will, if you will, I should say, of almost a testimony. Verses 2 through 9 is his life before he got saved. Verses 10 through 13 is when he got saved. And verses 14 through 17 is what it's like after he got saved. So what do we have here? God does not want anyone to perish. Please remember that. When the world tries to tell you that God likes sending people to hell, that is not a biblical concept in any way whatsoever. When the world tries to tell you that what they hate about Christianity is this whole hell, fire, and brimstone. Listen, hell is real. Hell is completely real. But the truth is, God has no desire to see anybody go to hell. Look at the passages here out of Ezekiel 18. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God? And not that he should turn from his evil ways and live? He finishes it up the same chapter. For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. That's the heart of your father. He doesn't want to see someone go to hell. He wants to see them get saved. Why does he give Manasseh 55-year reign? Because he loves him. He loves him. And he wants him to come to know Christ. He wants him to come to know what a real relationship with the Lord looks like. And so there's grace in that 55 years. If you just focus on 55 years to the most evil king that ever lived, no. It's actually grace. And aren't you thankful, some of you sitting here tonight, that the Lord didn't stop at age 20 for you? Or age 30, or 40, or 50, or 60? One of the greatest testimonies I could ever share with you, probably about 10 years ago, I got called by somebody and said, Hey, would you go up to this nursing home in Grand Rapids? There's a woman who is dying. We don't know if she's saved or not. Will you come up and share the Lord with her? So I went up with a couple other people. It was a very spur of the moment. And she was laying there literally in her deathbed. And the best she could do was whisper, So we got a chance to sit down and talk to her, explain the plan of salvation, ask her if she wanted it, ask if she wanted repentance of sins in Christ. She said, yes, amen, and she died three hours later. Deathbed conversion. That's grace. That's mercy. That's the Lord we serve. And so when you look at it from that perspective, why would you not want to share that with everybody you run into? I want to tell you about how great my God is. He just loves you. Oh, yeah, you're God. The God that sends people to hell. No, 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 no. The God that gives you ample opportunities to not go to hell. The God that gives you ample opportunities to know grace, mercy, peace, love, joy. That's the God I want to share with you. 
And that's what we're talking about tonight. And it follows the same pattern. Keep your hand here in 2 Chronicles 33. Go with me real quick if you go to Acts 26. Acts 26. See, in Acts 26, you get one of the greatest testimonies ever given. It's Paul's testimony. And Paul's testimony follows the same pattern. The same pattern of what it's like when I hope that you share your faith. Acts 26. See, in Acts 26, Paul is standing before... He's standing before judgment. And so they basically give him a chance to share. Share what he wants to say. And so he has this wonderful, wonderful thing to talk before King Agrippa. And what he does is this. In verses 1 through 11, he shares his life, what it was like before he got saved. Then what happens? In verses 12 through 18, he shares how he met Christ. And then verses 19 through 23 of the same chapter, he shares what the Lord has done since he got saved. And lastly, look at verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Then he offers him salvation. That's the pattern, guys. That's the pattern you see in the Old Testament. That's the pattern you see in the New Testament. And that's the pattern that I want us to take into the world today. And we're going to finish with talking about this practically. How do you practically, when you run into somebody, just share with them, this is what my life was like before I met the Lord. This is how I met the Lord. And this is what the Lord has done for me since then. Do you want to know more about Him? And that's what we're going to see tonight. So keep Acts 26 in the back of your mind. Keep the same pattern here with Manasseh. And let's just take a look at Manasseh's life real quick. And we'll see the same pattern here develop. So what we have here in Manasseh's life in verses 2 through 9 is before he got saved. And it's just awful. He's evil. Verse 2. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. What did he do? He rebuilt the high places. And remember, the high places are just that. They were high places on mountaintops and hills. The idea was, let's get as close to God, little g, as we can. So they were called high places. He made wooden images. Verse 3, he worshipped all the host of heaven. Verse 4, he built altars in the house of the Lord. Verse 5, he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So he took the temple and made it an idol temple. He'd walk in, in the actual temple, he put up idols. In the courts of the temple, he put up idols. This is what he did. Verse 6, he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Remember, we've talked about what it means to pass through the fire. They would have a statue with a false god with its arms sticking out like this, burning red fire hot. And what you would do is take your child and literally place it on those arms. And the child would be burned alive to offer your child up to the god. To basically say... You are more important to me, God, than what my own kid is. So that's what he was doing. Verse 6, soothsaying, witchcraft, sorcery, medium, spirits. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Verse 7, he even set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God. This guy is doing it. Verse 9, Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. This guy's awful. It's time for judgment, right? Don't you think? I mean, isn't this where you stop and you say enough grace, enough mercy, this is where you have judgment? Just forget him, Lord. But that's not the Lord's pattern. Because if that was the Lord's pattern, guess what would have happened back in Genesis 3? Adam and Eve would have been just killed like that and let's start again. God's pattern is, I want to take care of your sin. 
God's pattern is, I want to restore you. See, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and also had Uriah killed, you know what should have happened to David? He should have been killed. The woman caught in adultery, what should have happened to her? Well, she should have been stoned to death. Jesus shouldn't have touched the lepers. We can make case after case after case of where they should have been punished. They should have been destroyed. And God says, I always lean towards grace and mercy. Always. So when you see an example in the Old Testament or even the New Testament where it looks like there's not much grace and mercy, what does that mean? It means the Lord knows that person's heart. The Lord knows that person needs to be dealt with. Here with Manasseh, here with Manasseh, God says, I care. So that's his before Christ's life, if you will. Evil, awful, disgusting. Now, what happens? Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and the people, but they would not listen. The Lord will always speak to you first. Still small voice, the Bible says. Sometimes we are yelling so loud in the world that we don't even hear it. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But I had somebody tell me this years ago, I never forgot it. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. The Holy Spirit will never yell. The Holy Spirit will never try to yell louder than the world. So if you want to listen to the world, if you want to be involved in that, the Holy Spirit will never yell louder than the world. Never will. So God tries to speak to Manasseh, verse 10, they won't listen. So what does God do now? Well, now it's time for judgment, right? What's well, a judgment in the form of grace? Verse 11, Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. This guy's getting a spanking. He knows what he did was wrong. But as this is happening, look at verse 12. Here's the key, whole key to the chapter. Now when he was in his affliction, he implored the Lord as God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Ah, oh, don't you love that? I love that. Keep your hand here. Psalm 119, please. Affliction. The Lord uses affliction to get your attention. He loves you enough to do that. Why as parents do we discipline our children? We discipline them to remind them that there's a bit of a sting to say, I want you to remember this. That way when you are thinking about doing it again, you think twice. That's why the discipline has to be something enough to get their attention. Manasseh was not listening to the Lord speak. So God says, you know what I need to do, Manasseh? I need to take you to Babylon for a while. I need to throw you in chains for a while. I need to afflict you for a while. Now, let's talk about affliction. Psalm 119, start in verse 67, please. Actually, back up, verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Now, if you guys are honest, how many of us here tonight, if that we would never have a sting of punishment to our actions, we would still keep doing those actions? Amen. Isn't that the truth? We would still keep doing those things. I remember years ago, I had a guy come into my office, got caught drunk driving. He was just depressed, discouraged, just flattened out in life. He was broken. And I remember asking him, hey, if you wouldn't gotten caught, would you still be doing it? He honestly replied, yeah. I said, then the Lord's still working on your heart. He's afflicting you to get your attention. He's afflicting you to get it. That's love. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Look at verse 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Did you know, you know, we always quote Psalm 119, 68. You are good and do good. We never quote the verse right before it. It is good when God afflicts you. There's a testimony out at this church that a spouse shares. 
that their spouse got cancer and died. And they give God the glory for that cancer because that cancer led their spouse to the Lord. And without that spouse going through cancer, they never would have come to know Jesus. Yes, of course, they want their spouse back. Yes, of course, they're sad. But they also stop and say that cancer brought them to Christ. That affliction was good. Verse 69, the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is a fad as grease, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. That's a mature response. Lord, I thank you for this affliction, this pain that you have sent me through. I thank you for getting caught. I thank you for you catching me with my hand in the cookie jar. I thank you for all of it. Because this has actually helped me become a better believer in the Lord. Boy, isn't that the truth? You've heard us had Ron T. Arena come up here and share his testimony many times before. Ron spent 15 years in prison. And Ron will tell you to this day, that affliction led him to the Lord. That affliction then led his wife to the Lord. And then that affliction let them have three kids now that are walking with the Lord. And that affliction, now he has a ministry where he's talking to other people, leading them to the Lord. But it's still affliction. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. One more, go to verse 75, same chapter. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. This is tough. If you're going through something right now and it's affliction, and you're like, Lord, why? There are many reasons why, and I can't cover them all tonight, but I just want to share this one with you. Is it something where the Lord's trying to get your attention? He loves you enough to afflict you. He does. The Bible says that those he, that he chastens, those that he disciplines are the ones that he loves. He loves you enough to spiritually spank you. He does. And that's exactly what happened with Manasseh. Exactly what happened with him. So in his affliction, verse 12, now back to Second Chronicles 33. He humbles himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Verse 13, and prayed to him. And he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, brought him back to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. We're going to see Manasseh up in heaven. What a testimony. It's amazing. We say this a lot out here. Sometimes people come up and they're really concerned about a loved one not walking with the Lord. And we'll just say this. If Paul can get saved, anybody can get saved. We should really probably be saying if Manasseh could get saved, anybody could get saved. Because what a testimony this is. Now, if you have a loved one that's not walking with the Lord, do you trust God enough to let them be afflicted? Let me ask you this. Do you love them enough to pray that they are afflicted? That affliction may need to happen to get their attention. Now, let's just keep going, and this is not easy to say. Do you love the Lord enough to say, Lord, if there's something in my life that's not right, will you afflict me? Will you get my attention? Boy, that's a tough thing to say. But you know, that's what the Lord does. That's what the Lord uses. So what's Manasseh's post-conversion life, if you will? I know post-Jesus life really doesn't make sense as we're talking about Old Testament, but you know what I mean. Well, what does he do? Verse 14, after this, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gibbon. And the valley is high, excuse me, as far as the entrance of the fish gate and an enclosed offal. And he raised it to a very great height. Remember, anytime you see walls, 
Walls are always a picture of their spiritual walk with the Lord. We get that from Proverbs. Remember Nehemiah, him rebuilding the wall is really a picture of him rebuilding the spiritual nation there of Israel. So by him rebuilding walls, it's saying he's getting his spiritual life back in order. He put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. When we see them strengthening the military, that means they're also understanding it's a spiritual picture of the battle that we're in. They're getting ready for the spiritual battle. Verse 15, he cleans house. He took away the foreign gods and the idols from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and he cast them out of the city. He cleaned house. I can remember when I got saved. I got saved in the fall of 93, and I can remember talking to Kelly. It was Kelly Krager at the time, and she would brought up some stuff that I was doing, etc. And I can remember telling her, I will never let go of that. I remember distinctly saying that. And it was in January of that year, I had my own little private refiner's fire, and I remember throwing things into that fire. I've always loved refiner's fires, always have done them. And I I keep thinking, we should just do one out here sometime, where you clean house. You clean house, and maybe you have literal, physical things you need to destroy, saying, these things are pulling me away from the Lord. And sometimes when we do refiner's fires, we'll just hand out pieces of paper, and you just write what it is on there. Because maybe it's not something physical, maybe it's lust, it's pride. It's something like that. And you throw it in the fire. You know what? We're just going to set one up. Because I think it's a really important thing to do. We're going to get one of those on the calendar. Because that's what it is. It's cleaning house. It's cleaning house and saying, Lord, I want to come to you and be repentant. And I want to come to you and I want things to be done. And so we'll get one of those set up. What else did he do? Verse 15. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord. And all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord. And drew some and he cast them out in the city. We talked about that. Verse 16. He also repaired the altars of the Lord. Sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it. And commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. When you see offerings being offered, that shows a spiritual life. A devotional life. So what do we see here? Walls. His spiritual life is rebuilt up. Military, he's getting ready for the battle of the spiritual life. Cleaning house, getting rid of the sin. And then you see the devotional life, that spiritual life coming back in verse 16. So verse 17, nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. And then verses 18 through 20 kind of give a little bit of just a PS to his reign. And about how he prayed to God, the Lord heard him, the Lord responded. Verse 20, Manasseh rested with his fathers and they buried him in his own house. Then his son Amon reigned in his place. We'll get into Amon next week here. He has a short little reign. But the point is this. This is the point. Before he got saved, get saved after he gets saved. Nothing has changed If you're here tonight and you were born again, you have the exact same testimony. The details are just different. You had a life before you knew Christ. You got saved. Then you had a life after you knew Christ. And your whole job now is to give God the glory by telling people about it. On Sunday, we did the parable of the sower and the seed. And we talked about just scattering seeds. The more I teach, the more I'm out here, the more I realize, isn't it just telling people about Jesus? I mean, isn't that, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? And I'm not telling people about Jesus to get them to come out to Harvest Fellowship. I'm not telling them about Jesus to that way say, look what I did. No, I'm just, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Is just say, listen, I have a daily interaction with you. Let me tell you what the Lord did. Remember that phrase we talked about on Sunday. Turn daily interactions into divine interactions. 
Turn daily, daily conversations into divine conversations. Just be open and ready and prepared in season and out of season to say, Lord, I am willing to share with anybody at any time and scatter seeds and just see what happens. Right now, there's a group over as we speak in Putnam County just asking people if they want to pray. Daily conversation turning to divine. Right now, there's a group in Shawnee, Ohio, that are taking care of kids with special needs, representing the hands and feet of Jesus to people. Just daily interactions becoming done. I was talking to the guy again today, and I'll share this with you, uh, about up in Dearborn. We're hoping to send a group up to Dearborn. And it looks like, don't quote me on this, it would be maybe Sunday, July 3rd. Sunday, July 3rd, we're going to go up to Dearborn, and we get to go door-to-door in Muslim communities and invite Muslim kids to VBS. And that's what we get to do, just scatter seeds. And if you're interested in that, if that disturbs your heart, talk to me after church as I'm getting people around. i got a 12-passenger van, so I'll take that many. And if we get more than that, maybe we'll take the church bus. I don't know. Amen. Amen. The point is, let's just go scatter seeds and see what happens. Now, here's the problem. I thought about this Sunday after church. We say that. Scatter seeds. Talk to people. Let daily conversations become divine conversations. Be open to the Lord. And we walk away from that saying, I love it. I get it. I don't know what that looks like. How, what does it look like to share your testimony? I mean, Manasseh has, has what? Uh, 17 verses. Paul has 20 plus verses. So how, what does that look like? Back in February, we had people that had a heart, and they started this evangelism class where they get together and they encourage each other just to share their faith. And one of the things that they talked about was this thing called a one-minute testimony. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but it's a one-minute testimony where you just kind of stop and you just say, you know what, I want to just share the Lord with you on what the Lord has done, and I just do it in a minute. Now, it's not this legalistic watch-the-clock minute. But it's just a daily conversation you have with somebody. And all of a sudden the Lord comes up and you get an opportunity to share what that looks like. And so I wanted someone to come up tonight and share what a one-minute testimony looks like. So I'm going to have Shannon come up. Shannon, it doesn't mind coming up. Now, here's the thing about daily interactions. You never know when the daily interactions are going to come be divine interactions. Dustin, are we able to get this mic? Okay, cool. Make sure you're on here, Shannon. Got it. Test, test. I don't know if it's on or not. Can you hear me? I don't think it's on yet, Dustin. But here's the thing about daily interactions. You never know when they're going to pop up. You never know when that conversation with the cashier or the waitress is going to turn into something spiritual. You never know when that conversation with the co-worker is going to turn into something spiritual. I just had one this last week where I was talking to somebody. I was focused on something else. They asked a question. I realized, oh, we just got spiritual here. And so since we got spiritual, I need to get ready for this. You've got to be ready in season and out of season. So to put this in perspective, um, I contacted Shannon around 6. Because I don't like to give people time to prepare. And I said, can you? So I actually texted her saying, would you mind sharing your one-minute testimony? And her response was, laugh out loud, right? Yes, you could have let me know earlier. I'm not going to let you know earlier because then you start thinking about it. God does not tell you sometimes at 7 a.m., hey, be prepared at 3 p.m. to share Christ with somebody. You don't know when it's coming. So she said, laugh out loud. She goes to an individual. And I texted back no to the church. She didn't respond for a really long time. 
But I wanted you to hear what it just sounds like. Just this simple little, you're having a conversation. All of a sudden, the Lord comes up. And it is not, hey, let me get my Bible out. And would you please read Romans 3.23 and then Romans 6.23 and then Romans 10.9. Those are all great verses and I'm not putting that down. Or maybe it's not, I have a tract and here it is. Maybe you do carry those with you. But sometimes it's just a conversation with somebody. The Lord opens a door and then boom, it's just like this brief window. I just want to share what the Lord's done in my life. So I just wanted Shannon, just very calmly, just very casually, just to share what that sounds like. And it's called a one-minute testimony. If you're legalistic, get your watches out and you can time her. Or go from there. It might be 30 seconds. It might be 30 seconds. Remember, every testimony is the same. I was a sinner going to hell, Jesus saved me, and now I'm going to heaven. The details are what just changed. And one of the things that I always like to share when I talk about sharing your testimony is this. Don't glorify the past. I've heard testimonies where they just want to glorify how sinful they were. Listen, we're all ugly sinners. We're all going to hell. And sometimes we want to glorify how we got saved. Man, Jesus plucked me out of hell. I didn't do anything. So I just wanted to make sure. So here you go, Shannon. You're up. What would your one-minute testimony sound like? Well, I just wanted to encourage you guys that um, a testimony is just your story. It's the story that God has given you and and where you've come from and where you are now. And so um, my testimony is that when I was young, I was a pretty happy-go-lucky child. But at about eight, things got really difficult in my life. Both my grandfathers passed away within a couple months And my parents' marriage was falling apart. And even um, I remember sitting and crying, thinking that the world was going to end. I remember um, saying, curse God and die. And uh, I was very depressed. And I I didn't want to live another day. Um, So fast forward, you just keep going. I went through school and I really threw myself into grades. Um, into su- trying to be successful in sports and in work. And, but I was still not meeting that need that I had. And I had one friend, a best friend in high school, who lived differently. Her family was very different than mine. And when I would stay over there, it, you just knew something was different. And um, in high school, it was uh, Marcus's sister. Actually, I get emotional about it. Um, she gave me a book called the Left Behind series, and I read it, and for the first time, I knew that Jesus loved me, not that just he loved the world, not just that God was love, but that he loved me, and I called her, and I cried, and said, how do I do this, and how do I tell everyone, and um, after that, I had a long series, a long season of um, <clears throat> trying to change my life, trying to understand what that meant. And really, it was a long season of guilt because now I knew truth, but I was still making bad choices. And um, just like Manasseh came to um, a pit to the bottom, I came to the pit in college. And I had had a mentor who um, taught me confession, and she taught me what it meant to be forgiven. And all of a sudden, it made sense. All of a sudden, there was joy now because I didn't have to carry that anymore and um, so my after story, my <clears throat> after salvation story, I guess, is that now that I realize what love is, I can love others. Now that I understand forgiveness, I can, I've 
fixed some of that brokenness from childhood. And now I really understand joy, and now I can share that with others. Amen. Was it, it a minute? It was. I actually timed it. was about a minute 40, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. God, God's not legalistic. I am, but God's not legalistic. No, but, but, but that's what it is. And, and I can remember when I first got saved, and I heard people talk about sharing their faith. I, I thought it was this deep, let me tell you what the Greek words of sanctification mean. Let me tell you about this. And I started realizing it's really just, hey, this is the path I was going. This is what Christ did for me. And this is what my life like now after Christ. And then you know what you do? You just step back. Let the Holy Spirit work on their heart. They may ask follow-up questions. They may not care in any way whatsoever. You don't push it. You don't force it. And you just, hey, thank you. And you just let them, if they got something to say, and that's the beauty of it. And, and that's what I love about what it is. It's, it's honest, it's sincere, and it's personal. Because when you hear somebody personally talk about their ups and downs in life, it makes you listen a little bit more. So thank you very much for being willing to come up. I wanted, like I said, just to kind of have somebody represent what that looks like. So with that being said, one of the points that we set on Sunday, the goal for Sunday was pretty straightforward. Let's set the bar pretty low here. I want to change your life forever. I want you to look at every interaction you have with an individual as an opportunity to scatter seeds. I no longer want you to think that you're going to Walmart just to get groceries. You are walking into a mission field. I never want you to think of you're just taking your kid to the doctor. No, you're not. You're interacting with the receptionist, you're interacting with the nurse, and you're interacting with the doctor. Now, how they respond, I don't know. Remember from Sunday, scattering seeds. 25% don't care. 25% will respond with joy and fall away. 25% will get choked out. Only 25% will get it. But just scatter seeds. And you can never know which heart will respond. And so therefore, you always are ready just to do it. It's not a forced. It's not a have to. But let it become such a part of your life that when you're talking to people, you just say, Lord, you're just praying. I am open. I am open to share. I am open to talk. Sometimes they respond. I've shared with you on Sunday a couple of examples in the last week of, eh, they don't care. They didn't want to know anything about it. But I'm still going to scatter seeds. Now, here's the catch. This only works if you fully see the importance of it. If you are not in that mindset of, wow, look at what Christ did for me. I want to share this with everybody I run into it's never going to cross your mind. Because when you're going to Walmart, it's all about you. When you're going to the doctor, it's all about you. We have to reach a point of where we realize it's not all about us. The Bible says that I'm a slave of Christ. As a slave of Christ, I I, I don't take days off from serving the Master. As the slave of Christ, I don't stop and say, you know what, Lord, I've spent a lot of time about you today. It's all about me. Boy, it's hard to lose that. It's hard to die to yourself. But when you start seeing the big picture eternally, changes the way every interaction now becomes a mission field. Daily conversations can become divine conversations. Daily interactions can kind of now become divine interactions. All of a sudden, now we stop and say, Putnam County? Well, who cares? I don't even live in Putnam County. Yeah, but you know what? There's people that need to know Jesus there. So I feel led to go over there. I'm going to go over there. VBS? I hate kids. Yeah, but you want them to know Jesus, right? I hope. Dearborn, but you know what? Those people are on a path to hell. I want to go up there and represent Jesus. Now, you may not be called to every one of those, and I'm not trying to guilt somebody. Just you say, Lord, I want to be open. 
Because I see what you've done for me. I see Paul's testimony. I see Manasseh's testimony. Oh, Lord, I, I want this. I want this. And let's just finish up with this, how simple it is. Can you go to Romans 10, please? Romans 10. Because when Manasseh was in his affliction, he implored the Lord as God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. What do we see in Romans 10? Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Look at verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I just want to point people towards Jesus Christ. I'm just a flashing road sign along their little path of life that's just trying to point them to Jesus. And I introduce them to Christ. There's a great analogy that came out of that evangelism class back in February. And it was just that idea of moving the ball down the field. If you were at that class, you understand the analogy. You you have this envisionment of a football field and trying to get the ball in the end zone. Not every play is the 99-yard Hail Mary that they score on. Sometimes you gain a yard. Sometimes you gain five yards. Sometimes you got a big 20-yard. The point is you're moving the ball down the field. There's times that I've had interactions with people and it's like, wow, it just moved. There's other times I've had interactions with people and it's like, wow, nothing. I think I lost ground on that one. But God's in control of it. And I tell you, the thing is this. Man, aren't you glad salvation doesn't rest on your shoulders? Because guess what? You're going to say the wrong thing one time. You're going to miss an opportunity wrong one time. It's not because of your lack of words. It's not because of your lack of polish that somebody's going to choose to reject Jesus Christ. They're going to reject Jesus Christ because they chose to reject Jesus Christ. Don't worry about having the perfect speech, the perfect words, and the perfect verses. It ain't going to happen. You just let the Holy Spirit lead you in each interaction. It's not about you. It's not about a specific church. It's not about a specific ministry. It's about Jesus Christ alone, representing him to a dying world, scattering seeds, planting seeds, and letting daily conversations, daily interactions become divine conversations, divine interactions, because you are willing. You're open to it. And it's just a quick little, let me share in one minute what the Lord has done for me. Anybody have any quick questions, comments about anything here? If you want, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah, because the key word there in verse six is it's plural. He caused his sons, his sons to pass through, and you know, as a parent, I, yeah, can't even imagine that. Can't even imagine that. We we cannot. I just said don't glorify the past, but we cannot overemphasize how evil Manasseh was. But at the same point, we cannot overemphasize the amount of God's grace in Manasseh's life. I tell you, it's amazing. This guy's in heaven, guys. It's amazing. Anybody else have anything here before we get ready to close up? All right, here's the deal. I don't want you to go out in this mentality of a forced have to. I'm going to, everybody I run into, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Just be open to. The Lord may lead, the Lord may not. Don't force it. Let the Spirit lead. Don't be legalistic of, I'm going to talk to this many people a day. Nope, that's nothing about that. Scattering seeds. And remember what it says in the book of Corinthians. Some plant, 
Some water, but God gave the increase. Your role may just be to plant a seed. You may not see that person come to know Christ. Your job may be to water the seed that someone else planted. Or your job may be you get to pick the fruit off the tree because you get to be there when they come to know Christ. No matter what, it is a body of Christ team effort and representing Jesus Christ in a dying world. I just want to encourage you, if you're looking for opportunities, Putnam County Fair going on now, Henry County Fair going on in August, VBS upcoming here, Dearborn upcoming in a couple weeks, and maybe you can't make those or it just doesn't work out. Hey, that's fine. Please pray for those that are doing it. Pray for the Putnam County group. Pray for the people at Shawnee right now. Pray for the kids going to church camp. Pray for that. And to be quite honest, pray for everybody around here, churches and Christians, to have the heart of just seeds being scattered. That's what matters. I encourage you, if you don't, grab one of those VBS prayer calendars in the back. There's some on that table. There's some on this table over here. Something different to pray for every day for vacation Bible school. What an opportunity to scatter seeds in kids' life. Because that is all that matters. If you have any questions about getting involved with any of these outreaches, come see me. If you're interested in that evangelism class that meets a couple times a month, see Betsy. She heads that up. I encourage you. It's just accountability. It's fellowship. It's encouragement to do that. And, and lastly, concerning you know Manasseh and his changed life and him moving forward in the Lord. Hey, great chance to plug baptism coming up this Sunday. Maybe you want to take that public stance to show the world, I am walking with Jesus Christ. That's all that baptism is. It's a symbol to the world for you to show the world, I am making a public claim and confession of Jesus Christ. Anybody have any final questions, comments about anything here before we close up? Hey, let's just pray this into our lives. Lord, I, I don't want this to be something we just talk about and just move on from just another Wednesday night. Lord, fundamentally change the vision and focus of what we do as a church to equip the saints to spread the gospel. Lord, let everything we do go through the filter of proclaiming Jesus and all we say and do. Lord, help us to take those steps, those walks of faith. Help us in the daily interactions of life to be open to the divine. And Lord, give us a burden and a heart for the lost to love them. Just love them in you. Bless the prayer chain in Putnam County. We pray your hand to be upon the weather. Those at Shawnee right now, let them be the hands and feet of Jesus. The teens next week and all the helpers going. Safety in a time of spiritual growth. VBS, that would be for you. Dearborn would be for you. And we already start want to start praying for Henry County Fair, that hearts are prepared and open. Lord, we love you. And thank you for letting us have the opportunity to serve you. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. If you got any questions about anything, come see me. You guys have a blessed week, and hopefully we'll see you next Wednesday then.